Hello, everyone. Welcome to Gaia Radio's four-part call series called Transition Conversations. This series is brought to you by a partnership between Gaia University and the Transition Network. Today is the second call. I was really pleased with the um, <clears throat> outcomes of the call last week. And this week we have the topic, Creating an Effective and Engaged Team, presented by Nick Osborne. My name is Jennifer English, and I'll be facilitating the call with you today. To get us started, I have a few announcements. First of all, the call is scheduled for an hour and a half. If you need to leave partway through, there will be an audio recording made available to you. Um, that will be sent out probably in a day or two. Um, as far as the technology, we're using a platform called MyAistro Conference. Uh, there is a screen share link. If you could check your email, that was a reminder probably sent about two hours ago with a link to the screen share. If you haven't already got that open, please do so now. Okay, and there were a few questions coming around behind the scenes about how to get into the audio portion of the call. You can call in over a phone, a cell phone, Skype, any voice over internet platform, or there is a free online um, dialer called MC Dialer. And all of those different options are listed inside the call announcement that was sent to you, I think, 24 hours ago and then two hours ago as well. Um, there's, if you read down, scroll down below, there is a link um, that has country dial-in numbers and also a link to MC Dialer if you have any trouble with that. And the country dial-in numbers means that if you're from, like, Germany, there's, I think, a dial-in number from Berlin. If you're from the UK, there's a dial-in number and so on and so on. Okay, another announcement. If you're having any IT issues or for some reason the screen share is not open, it is um, playing right now. So if it's not working for you, press number 1. And at a convenient time, either myself or Ava Klinger, my Guy University colleague, will be there to do the best that we can in assisting you behind the scenes. Also, with pressing buttons, if you have a question or would like to make a comment or just need the presenter to speak back or paraphrase something that you, you missed, please, please press number 2 on your keypad. And at an appropriate time, I'll um, get into the conversation and make sure to um, have that question be asked. To get us started, I would like to just do a brief um, check in from a handful of callers. If you could press 2 right now if you're willing to, to share. Um, I'm going to ask that you just simply say your name, where you're calling in from. Um, you can briefly just say if you're part of a transition initiative and maybe what brought you to the call. And if you could do all that in about 20, 20, 30 seconds, that would be great. Again, press number 2 to, to share. It would be great if maybe two or three of you would be willing to do that. Charles? Hi, everyone. My name is Charles hey. Thibodeau. I'm calling in from uh, Shediac, New Brunswick, Canada. Uh, we're just beginning our, our transition initiative over here. We formed our initiating group and uh, looking forward to the call. I'm also a Gaia University uh, associate in the master's program, so that's how I found out about this. Really excited to join in. Thanks. 
Great. Thanks, Charles. How about one or two more people? I don't see any other hands, but it would be great to hear um, where folks are calling in from. Okay, and let's see, we have someone. Chris? Hi, can you hear me? Yep. Um, my name is Chris English. I'm part of a transition initiative um, starting in Smithfield, Rhode Island. And I also am associated with Guy University, that's how I heard about it. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks, Chris. Okay. How about we'll take, now there's some hands being raised. Good. So we'll take two more people. Carolyn? Uh, this is Caroline Staten with Transition US. I'm here with Marissa Momartz, also from Transition US, and we're both in Transition Sebastopol in California. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, and then our last person, Kate. Yeah, hi, this is Kate. I'm calling in from Chicago, Illinois today. I'm also a Gaia, Gaia associate. And I'm not currently part of the transition movement, but I'm moving soon to uh, one that is trying to get up and started. And I'm also hoping to use the building teams for some of my other work. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. OK, a good group of folks who were willing to check in. Thank you so much raising your hand. And throughout the call, we are going to have different types of interaction with each other. Um, we're going to use something called a think and listen, where we'll put you in breakout rooms, and you'll have some time to, to speak up and um, engage in that way. And you can also, as I said, press 2 at any time during the call to ask questions. So with that, I want to thank everyone for, again, coming on time. And I'd like to, to move into our presentation. So once again, our topic today is called Creating an Effective and Engaged Team. There are some questions that we're going to dive into around what are some of the key reasons why some teams are highly functional and just great fun to be in, and others are demotivating and a drag on everyone's energy. So we're going to talk about how can we make sure our groups and teams have the best chance for success. So we are very fortunate today to have Nick Osborne as our presenter. Nick has, over the last 15 years, worked in a variety of management, leadership, training, consultancy, and activist roles with a range of organizations, including Changemakers, Shell, Amnesty International, and the Eco-Village Network. Nick has a BSc in Social Philosophy and an MSc in Management Development and Social Responsibility. So again, really great to have you on board, Nick, and I'm going to hand it over to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, and uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, thank you for coming on the call. I'm, uh, I feel very pleased to be here. Uh, I'm sorry if I sound a little bit, <clears throat> a little bit husky. I'm uh, suffering the end of a, a pretty bad cold at the moment, so uh, that's why I might be a bit croaky as well. And it's uh, very dark and uh, wet here in uh, England right now. We've had a lot of rain over the last six weeks, a lot of storms, strong storms off the Atlantic, a lot of rain and a lot of flooding uh, near where I live in Somerset. And uh, I'm calling, I, I guess it's daytime over in America, but here it's a very kind of dark and damp uh, day. Um, I'm curious how many people there are on the call, uh, Jennifer. Do you have a number for how many there are? Yeah, at the moment there are 15 callers and then of course there's those of us who you 
you know, like our staff that are on the call on top of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then from the last call, there were people who called in late, so that might change. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. I will start by saying a little bit more about how it is that I've come to be here uh, delivering this kind of work right now uh, because that has a bearing on, on uh, what I say and, and how I say it. So I started uh, kind of when I left my university. I spent years and years doing social activism work really with a, a strong passion for trying to change the world and make things better and help raise awareness about the important issues and um, spent years doing that, working for organizations like Amnesty International and um, campaigning to save rainforest in South America, uh, local Agenda 21 work. And after years of doing that, I became quite disillusioned and feeling like the campaign work wasn't making any difference and I was really wasting my time. So. I packed in what I was doing with some friends uh, and we, we all went off, uh, we all packed in what we were doing and we went off to live in some uh, woods uh, in a forest in the southwest corner of uh, Ireland, of uh, the Republic of Ireland. And we were all in our mid-twenties and we were very idealistic about uh, not trying to campaign to, to make things different but rather to demonstrate how it's possible for human beings to live more sustainably on the planet by by living in the woods and we, we dug a well we built some shelters we planted food and we uh, managed the woodland in exchange uh, for the landowner for letting us stay there and you know we had a, a wonderful kind of inspired and, and idealistic time there uh, but it didn't take long before uh, we started to rub up against each other and some conflict started to come out it all got quite intense uh, we didn't ha know anything about group process or how to work in groups. It was all very kind of raw. And before long, uh, there was a big blow up. A lot of people fell out with each other and uh, the whole thing kind of just blew apart, really. Um, I bounced from that experience into doing a permaculture course and uh, uh, was delighted to find three of my favorite words all in the same sentence in permaculture, which is uh, design, uh, system and sustainability and really loved learning about permaculture and from doing that it was a logical step for me to go on to learn about eco-villages and how uh, people use permaculture principles at the level of whole uh, settlements of eco-villages and intentional communities and I went and did an eco-village design course at the farm in Tennessee and spent three months traveling around North America and uh, other times traveling around the UK and Europe. I visited about 30 different projects in uh, eco-village projects or eco-town or intentional communities uh, doing some research, asking people how they set up, how they run their meetings, how they do their governance, how they do their legal and economic design and physical design. Um, wrote all of it up for the eco-village network and when I came back to the UK after doing all that I then started to set up, uh, help set up the eco-village network in the UK, really trying to provide a service to support other settlements who wanted to demonstrate sustainable living in setting up using what I'd gained from my research. Um, and then after doing that for a year, there was an opportunity to go back to Ireland and, and join another eco-village project that was uh, setting up, but a bit more, it felt like in a bit more of a grown-up way this time. Uh, there was a group of seven of us, and when we came together, we spent the first week doing training in consensus decision-making, so we had a very strong 
process. We were all trained as facilitators and we all used to rotate the facilitation for running our meetings. And then the second meeting we had was the second week we had was a, a week long eco village design course where we did visioning and all kinds of design work around uh, what we were trying to create there. So it felt like when I went back to Ireland for the second time, we did it in a more a more kind of mature, more kind of uh, contained and grown up way. But again, that project didn't last either. It lasted for about a year. And after the, that year, we didn't fall out with each other. Our relationships uh, were good, but people left for various reasons and, and the project didn't manage to stay together. Uh, they left more for other reasons like family and children and, and things like that. And at that point, I had a, I really had to stop and reflect and really kind of scratch my head and think, you know, what what is it that's going on here? What, why is it that so many of the the difficulties that I found in the research that I did and then in my own experiences in trying to support and set up these kinds of projects, um, they were really about not so much about the access to land or the economics or the, the, the environmental technology. They were more about the kind of social technology of how it is that people can do things together, how people can dis make decisions together, how they can learn, how they can resolve conflict, how they can take action to get things done. It seemed like that is the group stuff, it's the teamwork, it's the relationships, it's the quality of relationships, it's all those kinds of things that really seemed to be one of the strongest limiting factors on people being able to demonstrate living sustainably on this planet. And I'd asked myself, in, in our culture, where is, where is their expertise around that kind of uh, territory? Because some of it was in some of the uh, communities I'd visited, uh, and some of them you know, were, were lacking in that kind of area. And I thought, well, maybe some of it might be in management, because that's what a lot of management is about, is about helping people work together to achieve a goal. So I went back to university and did an MSc in management development and social responsibility to really learn more about this technology and how, how to enable groups and teams to, and organizations to work well together. So I did that about 10 years ago, uh, finished it about 10 years ago, and since then have really devoted myself to learning a whole load of different tools and techniques and processes and models that can help uh, groups, social change groups, social enterprises, teams, organizations work well and create the kind of working environment and conditions where they can both be effective and really enjoyable and really successful uh, and help to kind of alleviate and mitigate some of the, the more difficult problematic things that happen when people come together to do things. So really at this point in my life, you know, I've, I've got more kind of tools and models and processes that I, than I can even remember and I'll just kind of sometimes pull some out of the bag. And then a couple of years ago, as I was doing my continual learning that I'm doing, I, I came across a method called holacracy, which I found has, has been a kind of step change in the kind of tools that can help this, this kind of thing work. So I've spent the last couple of years learning more about and, and starting to use that as a technique as well and um, may talk a bit about that later. So uh, that's uh, an introduction to myself. That's how it is I've come to be here. So what I talk about in, in this kind of um, work, what I do now in this work is I, 
I deliver the transition training as a transition trainer. I deliver a course, which is a two-day course called Effective Collaboration, which is uh, going into the whole territory of uh, that I've just described about what can help groups work well. And I really brought together a, a, a kind of eclectic mix of you know, conventional management and leadership theory from my MSc course, some, um, some alternative uh, kind of activist uh, methods of working, uh, consensus and, and parts from eco-villages and communities and things like that, uh, some personal development and self-awareness work. And I'm just starting to work with my partner uh, called Justine, who is a... Uh, trainee psychotherapist just about to qualify as a psychotherapist and we're starting to deliver this work together with groups where we're, we're able to go into more depth around some of the more personal um, things that can get triggered for people personally in groups uh, that can affect uh, how they how they can be as a group member so that's really uh, an introduction to me and, and what I'm doing now um, there's a number of resources which I'll summarise at the end, but I just wanted to point to this one now. Uh, you'll be seeing it, if it hasn't come up on the screen yet, it will come up now. There's a set of uh, animated, short animated videos uh, that introduce this whole territory of people working in groups and teams and how they can be effective, some of the issues that come up and things like that. So uh, you'll be able to download if you, uh, or get emailed a copy of these slides and there'll be a link there to this, uh, this series of uh, animations that we're making. So, uh, yeah, just to point you to that and a way to, um, to... These videos have been made to be a good introduction to, to this territory and to, to maybe show, if you're in a transition group or another kind of social change group, to show it, to spark some conversation about... Um, this territory with your group. Great, Nick, there is actually a question, so let me go ahead and turn Chris's mic on. Chris, okay. what's your question? I'm, maybe I misheard, but were, were you trying to say that the link to these videos is on, is on the, um, the slideshow that we are watching now, or that we'll be able to access it later? Yes, yeah, so uh, there should be a slide in front of you which is uh, it's called Introduction to Effective Groups and it has a, a, a picture from it from a YouTube clip. Do you see that? I can't like click it or copy it or anything. Sorry? I see the I see the um the link below it, but I I can't actually click on it or, or copy it. Oh, okay. Okay, so that that's not an active link that you can see. It's because it's a screen share, probably. So um, right. <clears throat> you're just seeing on your screen what I've got. What, on my screen, it's an active link. So you'll you'll be sent um, after the call. You'll be sent a PDF that has uh, these slides on it, and in the PDF, okay. you'll it, it will either be an active link or you'll be able to paste the uh, the, the web address in there, or you can find it straight okay. from the Transition Net Network website. Yeah. Great. Thank okay, you. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Great solution, and thank you, <clears throat> thank you for offering to send the PDF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, and I'm really uh, happy to take questions as I go through, just so that it's not a, always a, a monologue uh, from me. So um, that's there as a resource, and I'd encourage you to look at that and make use of those. Um, just want to say a little bit more in terms of framing the session. 
this is really like a transition conversation, so I'm going to ask an opening question and see where the conversation goes. But there's also an offer of here's some content, here's some things that I may can present uh, if people want a bit of um, content or a bit of input to spark some more thinking or conversation. So one of them is about uh, this model that I use of three different types of groups, uh, which you should be seeing on your screen now. So I talk about uh, a hierarchical structure, uh, more collaborative uh, flat groups, and then more agile um, dynamic steering organizations. So I, I give a model where I talk about those, how they fit into different environments, and what happens when, how each features of each of these can show up in our transition groups. Um, another thing that I took, can talk about is uh, something called the group development cycle, which is looking at different stages of how groups develop and the kinds of things that you're likely to experience at different stages of group development. So the forming, storming, norming, and performing. So I can talk a little bit about that and ask people to reflect on their experiences around that. And also within that, there are uh, eight different areas of group life that I've identified and that I deliver in my two-day course that uh, need to be given attention for uh, groups to be uh, healthy and successful and to work well. Uh, this is more specifically more for a kind of collaborative approach. So that's, uh, those are two other things I can talk to as well. And then uh, the slide that should be just coming up now, uh, here's, I can give an example of using holacracy uh, in, um, as another method and as another way of working with power and authority and helping clarify things in groups and uh, can talk to that a bit as well. So that's a bit of a frame of some of the things that I can speak about if required, or it may be that I don't go into any of those things and we just start a conversation after the first breakout and we'll just see where the conversation goes. Uh, so this is quite an emergent session. Uh, so the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is really think about this question that should be on your screen, which is what are the best and worst things for me about being in groups? So if you think for yourself, what are the things about being in groups that that really inspire you and that make you want to be involved and make you really think, you know, yeah, we can achieve so much more together than we can working individually and there's such a buzz about it and I love being involved. What are kind of the things that are really inspiring about it? And what are the things about working with other people that just make you lose the will to live and you just feel frustrated and you feel sad and you think, oh my God, this would be so much easier if I was just doing it on my own. It's easier to do it on my own than it is to try and do it with these bunch of other people. So each of us probably have things that are that we find are our best and most inspiring and our worst and most depressing features of working in groups. And I'm going to um, ask Jennifer to put you into breakout groups where you'll, you'll be in a, a smaller group of, of three or four people. And then you can either take it in turns to say a couple of minutes about your best and worst things, and then the bell will ring after a couple of minutes, and that will be an indication for the next person to speak. Or you can just ignore the bell and just say, well, let's just do it as a conversation. Um, and there'll be about um, eight minutes uh, in total for that conversation. So I'll hand over to Jennifer to put you into breakout groups and to, to discuss that question. Okay, thank you, Nick. Great overview so far. So I'm just going to paraphrase back the amount of time that we're going to have so if you are one of those groups who wants to have a think and listen where one person is talking, there's a bell that rings, the next person talks, the benefit of that is that everybody gets 
a chance to talk. If you want to do the other style where you're just having a conversation, when you're finished speaking, say the word check so that everyone else on the call knows that you're, you're done speaking and can then take a turn. That's just something we've learned doing these <clears throat> audio calls. Okay, so we are going to have 30 seconds in the beginning, so you can say hello and decide what order you're going to go in. And then from there, we are going to have a bell that says breakout, or I'm sorry, there will be a bell that just goes ding. That'll indicate the first person's going to go for two minutes. Then there'll be another ding. That's the second person, a third ding, third person. And at the very end, I'll give you another 30 seconds where you can just say farewell, and we'll come back into this main room. Okay, at the moment, there are um, six groups of three, and I'm going to start the breakout right now. You are now in a breakout. Please begin. microphone. And at this point, uh, Nick and I would like for you to share back the highlights of what you just heard or shared yourself. Press number two would be great to get a number of people who are willing to, to speak up. So if you could please press number two. And in the meantime, I just want to um, honor that you know we're using this technology. I know a couple of you had folks drop off the call or had some issues with headsets. And um, Nick and I were joking that that is a common thing that happens in, in groups. So there's an analogy there that we can all learn from. Okay, so I see a couple of hands raised. And I encourage you to, to share. So let's see if any more of you are brave and can raise your hand. First person, Olivia, hello. What would you like to share? No, sorry, I, I pressed the wrong button. I didn't have so much to to share, but um, it was really the most that was said that it, the inspiration and from the others having new ideas that, that's the best with groups. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, great. Well, thanks for spontaneously sharing, even though you weren't completely ready to. Um, Charles, how about you? Sure, Jennifer. I was in a group with uh, Julian and, and Anka. Um, the best things we, we, we came up with was um, the, that in groups there's a lot of energy with a variety of different people, so that's always fun to, to, to be in that atmosphere. Um, you can get um, a lot of... Um, uh, inspiration as well from other people um, who have similar ideas or complementary ideas and, and, and work from those to, 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 to create and, and, and better your own ideas or, or other projects. So that was a common, I think, uh, between all three of us. As far as the wing um, or challenging things, uh, we brought up a few different things. There's always, um, uh, in groups, there's always different characters, people with different uh, they're either very alpha and want to do everything or passive and kind of don't participate as much. So learning how to work with people. Um, there's also uh, people with different interests. 
um, and, and sometimes the dialogue doesn't in those areas. You, lose, um, you can lose focus and creativity. And uh, also we, we brought up the aspect of uh, tools and, and knowing uh, maybe enough tools to, um, to help um, those tense situations. So uh, that's the gist of our conversations. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you, Charles. And Nick, your microphone is on if you would like to reflect back on anything Charles or Olivia said. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I would. Um, <clears throat> I think what you were saying, Charles, is really hit upon kind of one of the key issues that happens in groups, which is really about uh, differences and diversity and how differences get dealt with in any group. Um, which really depends so much on the types of characters and the types of people that are there. Some people are very comfortable with differences. They like working with differences. They like exploring the differences. Other people can feel very threatened by differences and and just feel more comfortable when there are people around them who are like them. Um, And those can be differences in terms of, you know, uh, personality style and and a way of getting things done, being very action-orientated. Or it can be differences around ideas of what you're there to do or... Uh, values about um, what's important to people you know and and really groups are kind of this you know any kind of group is like a kind of splattered um, load of splattered paint on the wall of you know this collection of people that come together and then it's like how do we find ways to work with those differences and unless you know if you have one way of doing it is you can have a very uh, kind of awake, very self-aware, a very evolved collection of individuals that come together, have all those differences, and can find a way to work very smoothly with each other with all their differences. Uh, in my experience, uh, that is a very rare thing to happen. And what's more of, often happens is that those differences that people bring into the groups can be the cause of a lot of difficulty, of um, conflict and misunderstanding and hurt feelings, miscommunications. And there's really uh, a need, I think, to recognize that um, it can be very helpful to have some kind of structures in the group that can help to channel uh, what we do with our differences. So those structures can be things like uh, group agreements or ground rules. So what to do uh, if things do get difficult between us uh, because of our difficulties. So there's there's a kind of holding container there in terms of the ground rules. Uh, Another structure can be a way of working that can help people identify uh, which parts of the purpose uh, people share and which parts uh, are different uh, and what they do with the different parts of the purpose, different uh, feelings about the purpose. There can be uh, another structure can be having a, a process for managing conflict so like a conflict management policy or a conflict management procedure that can help people when a conflict does really happen, a series of steps that people can take to work with a conflict so that it can be an opportunity for learning and change rather than uh, a, a source of division and uh, stopping the group working well. Uh, so my, my point here I'm trying to make is, you know, there's, there's structures that can help us work with those kinds of differences and can help people kind of navigate around each other well and get the work done. Um, and it's my experience is that people are generally quite resistant about um, bringing in these kinds of structures 
to these kinds of social change groups that are quite informal and are quite passionate and quite values driven and part of the work that I do is around the value of bringing in some of these kinds of structures um, so that's a, a probably quite a long-winded response to um, just one thing <laughs> you were saying there um, I just want to say as well um, just in terms of confidentiality if anybody wants to share anything on the call about anything that's going on in in any groups and, and anything like that the kind of boundary that I use on confidentiality is to say to other people that are here is please don't share um, anything that anybody says about the person or about other groups um, outside the call. You can you can say, oh, this happened on the call and this thing was said, but don't attribute what was said to any specific person or any specific group. So don't say, you know, oh, in transition Glastonbury, they're all um, falling apart and shouting at each other. But you can say. You know, I heard there was difficulties in it in one of the groups on the call. So just that around confidentiality. Um, and if any other, any other comments really would invite comments, you know, that from that that initial question about any challenges or difficulties or help that anybody needs with with what's happening in groups, there's also a, a chance uh -huh. to talk about that here as well. Okay, great, and thanks for the context. Thank you. So I'll I'll put myself on deck, and then. You know, I don't see any other hands, but I know there's a lot of very active people in the transition network and also a lot of Guy University associates. So I'm encouraging at least one more person, maybe um, someone who hasn't spoken already, to share. That would be great. So I might just, because I'm a Guy University advisor, I might just randomly call on a Guy University associate. But I'll share first. So I have been working with groups since probably like 24 years, and I would say one of the things that has been the most challenging when it's not working well and the smoothest when it is working well is being intentional and consciously engaged. So what I mean by that is I find it really hard to work in groups where half of the group is talking about emotions and another part of the group is talking about facts and maybe another part of the group is trying to move very fast into next steps. So I really appreciate when a group is, um, you know, has maybe a proposed agenda or a clear intention of what mode, um, some people call them thinking hats, is, is being engaged at the time and can dynamically steer that <clears throat> and be flexible and maybe like the facilitator might change um, based on the needs of the group, but basically like everyone's like, okay, right now we're talking about facts, and if anything comes up that's outside of that, to have a place like a matters arising board or something that captures those tangents so that people feel like they are getting all their needs met, or like Nick was saying, having a, a process for dealing with um, sort of energy that's spiraling off. That's my paraphrased version of um, dealing with uh, conflicts. Yeah, so that's my little piece to share. And how about we'll take one more person, and then you can reflect back after after both people okay. share. Is that okay, Nick? Yeah, sure. Okay, great. So, Marjo, you have your hand raised. Would you like to share? Yes. I'm great. calling from Sweden. I'm calling from Sweden. And uh, I'm the leader of a non-profit organization, and I've been working in... It's a non-profit NGO organization. I've been working with uh, organizations as long as I can remember. And uh, 
slightly more than a year ago, I took the initiative to a transition group here locally, and um, we we were quite a gang already. 12 persons, I think, at the first meeting, and we really worked hard for for a long time, very intensively, but there has become so many, and we created also an organization because we wanted to handle some money, so I was selected the chairman, but after only a few months, I had to jump off that post because it was impossible, I felt, at that time to work with especially one person in the, in the, in the group. And uh, it has taken a lot of energy. And uh, we are on speaking terms, of course, but um, uh, I lost a lot of energy. And I've been very eager for us to have help from outside the group with the, with the group process. But, and hopefully we're getting that rather soon, it looks as if. But uh, it's... It's hard. I connected to some of uh, what you said, um, uh, Jennifer, uh, about uh, about groups when when you're not sharing, when you're not sharing uh, the ideology either. I mean, of course, people in our group all are part of the transition movement, but of course. I guess in many, many places, in many groups, people have very different insight and different, uh, different, they're differently deeply rooted in the, in the questions, in the, in the, all what you're handling with as a transition group. So that's a problem when, when you, when you don't share and you, we, you use the same words, but they mean different things to different persons and um, yeah that's where I'm standing right now I think I hope that we're getting back <laughs> on track great wonderful sharing Marjo all right <clears throat> Nick so I'm going to turn your mic on and you can reflect back Nick okay I'll, uh, I'll try not to talk for probably quite as long as I did last time um, I'll try and say a little bit less uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, your experience, Marja, that you were talking about is uh, something that I I've experienced quite a few times, and I've heard a lot of people talking about as well. Uh, it's very common, and yeah, I don't know how much um, how much kind of work you did at the beginning or have done around um, purpose. You know, what's what's the what's the purpose that we we're here trying to achieve? and doing some work around uh, clarifying um, what that purpose might be and then also uh, finding out the extent to which once that purpose is clear how much is it shared amongst the group um, because that can often often when that work isn't done it can be a source of um, energy uh, dissipating and going in different directions and people not uh, kind of working in harmony uh, without a clear purpose um, when it is there, it can be a, a source of real kind of mutual uh, kind of resonance and, and people building on each other and working with each other. Um, <clears throat> so that's one thought that occurred. And another is uh, very often there's a, you know, there's a label of, oh, it's the, there's a difficult person 
or there's one difficult person um, and, and a lot of uh, things sometimes get put on that one person and sometimes uh, it genuinely is uh, that one person who you know is known to be whichever group they go to they similar uh, dynamics follow them or you know they create similar situations uh, there's also you know going into a, a slightly more kind of psychotherapeutic way of looking at it there's also a way of seeing it where a person in a group can can be carrying certain things for the group so if there are certain things that aren't being expressed by the rest of the group and this person might pick up on that and then express that in a certain way kind of on behalf of the rest of the group and you know there's kind of all ways of different ways of understanding and interpreting the difficult person issue but one of the things that uh, really really helps with it is the point I was making previously about if you have these kinds of structures around ground rules and around conflict management and around clarifying purpose and around meeting processes and around um, how we communicate with each other if you have all of those things in place as your group infrastructure then it it becomes less about the person and it becomes more about um, how we are uh, working in this particular process and how we can um, fit and work together with this process and it's it's then if if somebody is doing something that's very very difficult or challenging it can be more then they can be um, kind of um, it can be named in terms of we made this agreement about how we behave with each other and you're not keeping to this agreement rather than um, I really don't like the way that you're saying that you know it becomes kind of less personal as between one person and another it becomes more about one person's relationship with the rest of the group and with the agreements that were made um, so that's another way in which the kind of group agreements and, and kind of structures there can help with that kind of issue. Um, I don't know, Marge, if you want to um, come back with anything around that or um, or not. Or I can carry on oh. talking. Yes, please. <laughs> hmm. Go ahead. Yes, 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 please. Carry on talking. I, uh, I, I appreciate a lot what you said and uh, uh, I understand the point of what you're saying to to really speak about the infrastructures from the beginning and and uh, then remind about <laughs> agreements but if you didn't have that from the beginning you have to uh, introduce that at a certain point and I guess that's where we are now yeah 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 and being you know if there is something really difficult that's happening then that can be a really good kind of uh, launch pad for starting to bring in some of this stuff, which is recognizing, uh, it's, it's acknowledging, you know, things are really difficult now, and, you know, it might be difficult because we haven't got some of these things in place, and so we can use this as an opportunity now to start to put some of these things in place. And if there's a kind of shared recognition about that, then what you get is you get shared ownership and shared engagement about um, those things being put in place. Um, and the, hopefully then a, a kind of shared commitment to, to working in that way together. So it can it can be transformed, that kind of situation can be transformed into a really positive thing for the group. Um, but, you know, I'd say that getting good skilled support is an important part. So it sounds like, you know, if you're getting somebody in from the outside, somebody in externally, um, hopefully they'll be able to help there. 
And I can uh, just respond to one thing you were saying, Jennifer, about uh, the extent to which people are, you know, kind of working together and, and aware of what they're doing in the group, you know, aware of what's being spoken about at any particular time. And, oh, this is, we're talking about facts now or we're talking about purpose. And that's really one of the the kind of skills that I I encourage people to try and develop in um, being an effective group member, which is about um, having an awareness of what's happening in the group at any time. And it's like there's an awareness about what's going on with myself, my self-awareness, and then there's also I can shift my awareness to pay attention to what's happening in the space between us and where the um, conversation is and where the direction the conversation is going, what the topic is we're talking about, um, what kind of feelings there are in the group, whether people are engaged, all those kinds of things. And there's something about developing the ability, the kind of awareness skills and mindfulness to be able to know where I'm focusing my attention at any time and where it's needed so that I'm aware of what's going on with me, the impact I'm having on the group, uh, what's happening in the group, and what's the most helpful thing for me to say right now as well. So it's developing that whole piece around mindfulness and self-awareness is a very important part of being an uh, effective group member. Um, and medita- uh, practices like you know, mindfulness and meditation can really, really help with that as well. So I'm going to stop now, um, ask if there are any more kind of comments or, or questions or observations, or I can offer to um, give a little bit more content, a bit of a presentation about something. At the moment, there are no additional hands raised, so I will absolutely let you know if that changes, but for now, I think you should continue. Okay. I don't know whether to take that as... um, everybody's fallen asleep or people are keen to hear what else I've got to say. So I I guess there's no way of knowing that. Well, we could poll people if you really wanted to know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let me, I'll do another poll. I'll say uh, there's some options here of uh, some four different things I could talk about, which should be coming up on the screen. Uh, And then can people press number one, two, three, or four on their keypad according to which option they want to go for? Okay, great. Yeah. So yeah. if I, I'll, brief, I'll briefly talk through what they are. So uh, the first one is I can talk about this uh, model of there being three types of group, a hierarchical structure, a more collaborative flat group, and a more agile approach. Uh, how in our groups we often find those elements of each of those three kind of mixed up and it can create a bit of a mess. I can talk about uh, the group development cycle, uh, different stages of group life, or eight areas of group life which require require attention for, for them to be healthy and effective, or more agile ways of organizing um, and using holoprity as an example. So those are the four <laughs> options. I can already hear some people being like, I want all four. I can think yeah, of some of the people on the call who are already thinking that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so folks, you have to choose um, your favorite one, please. And what I'll do, I'll probably just talk about one of these for maybe five or ten minutes and then again invite some questions and comments. Yeah. Okay, I'll just wait another moment for people to raise their hands and then I'll tell you which hand was raised the most. (coughs) Take another few seconds. There's about... Well, I will let you know that there's 
um, 20 people on the call now. Okay. So we had some, some extra people come on. And about eight of those people don't have their hands raised yet. So okay. oh, seven more people don't have their hands raised. So I'm just going to give you another 10 seconds to raise your hand. Okay. So here's what we've got so far. We've got 9% um, of the people who raised their hands for number two. 14% um, for number 3, and 33% for number 4. So it looks like question, no, or the topic number 4 is by far the one that's got the most people interested. Okay. And is that none for, zero for number 1 then? There is zero for number 1. Yeah, interesting. Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> Interesting, right? But I have a feeling that some of the other people would have pressed five if it meant you could talk about all four topics. All of them. Okay, yeah. okay. I'll do all of them in five minutes. Okay. Okay, so um, I'll talk about more agile ways of organizing uh, using Holacracy. So let me just see. I'm going to skip to some slides here. So let me skip to this one. <clears throat> so um, what would be useful actually is, just so as I know how to pitch what I'm going to say, is to say, to, to of those people on the, of the, of the people on the call, how much do people know about Holacracy? So if you, if you feel like you know a lot, you can press one. If you know a medium, you know, a bit, but not a lot, press 2, and if you know, never heard of it, press 3, or know hardly anything, press 3, then I'll know how to pitch what I'm saying. Would that work, Jennifer? Okay, you want to say those again, just to, to make sure yeah. everyone's on track? So one was what? Yeah. So if you feel like you know quite a lot about Holacracy already, and um, you want to know how it applies to the situation, press 1. If you Press number 2, if you've kind of heard about it, know a little bit about it, and want to know some more, or press three if you know haven't heard of it or know hardly anything about it. Okay. So I know how to pitch what I'm saying. Mhm. Mm so there's more than fifty percent of the people who have raised their hands already, and so far it looks like most of the people know very little about it. There's only okay. one person who knows quite a bit, and mm -hmm. then. More than half that raised their hands have said that they don't know anything about it. Okay, great. Great. That's mm -hmm. really useful to know. Thanks. Okay. So, um, I talk basically to give a little bit of context to Holacracy and uh, this kind of more agile way of working. You know, conventionally we're used to organizing in ways uh, with hierarchy uh, where their power and decision-making are concentrated um, at the top of an organization um, with a few people, and then they, that directs what happens in the rest of the organization. You know, conventionally, traditionally, that's the way of organizing that we're used to. Um, and then in the last 50 or so years, um, kind of more popularly, there's been a, a, move, a cultural movement away from hierarchy to working in more 
uh, flat, more collaborative and more shared ways of using power uh, where there are values around participation, inclusion, democracy um, and yeah, moving away from a hierarchy towards being more sharing power rather than power being concentrated. So if we're used to, uh, those are the two forms of organisation that tend to be most um, common and commonly understood. And often a more collaborative approach is a response and a reaction against uh, things in hierarchy not working very well. So people will kind of reject the hierarchical approach and say we want to work in a more flat collaborative way. And I think a lot of transition groups and a lot of social change groups in in general tend to do that. They tend to reject the, a more for, formal hierarchy and tend to want to share power and be more inclusive and participatory. What tends to happen in, in organisations is that organisations will or people in teams will swing between um, the two. So things will be too formal, then they reject it and go to a more flat approach. Then when things get a bit too fuzzy and a bit too vague and a bit not very well defined and people get fed up of spending so long in meetings, they'll kind of um, swing back from collaboration to a more kind of formal power structure, hierarchical approach. And I've seen that happen a lot, that kind of swinging from one to the other, where the excesses of one lead back to the other. Now, what's happened over the last uh, seven, eight years, really, is there's been a, a third way has evolved, really, uh, which is a more agile approach, which is it's, a, it's taking some of the best bits of a hierarchical approach, some of the best bits of a, a more flat collaborative approach, and it puts them together and it synthesizes them and creates something that's actually different, that's neither hierarchy nor flat collaborative, um, but is a, a, a different way of working. And it's, the label that I use for it is agile, is a more agile way of working. And the picture here um, on the screen is um, of a starfish uh, because a starfish uh, has a fractal structure and what that means is that um, there are there are parts of the starfish that contain everything that's needed for the starfish to work so when uh, a part of the starfish gets cut off it can um, adapt and it can regenerate itself um, and there's a book called the starfish and the spider and it's it contrasts these two different ways of um, structuring organizations where the spider is an analogy for a hierarchy where um, if you cut the head off the spider, that's it, the spider dies. Whereas it, if you cut any part off of a, a starfish, I understand that it can always regenerate and grow back because it has um, in it what it needs to, to do that. So it's not centralized in that way. Uh, so that's a metaphor for thinking about it. And these kinds of ways of organizing are more um, better suited for environments which are, are rapidly changing. So uh, when things are changing really, really, when there's a complex environment and when it's changing really fast, it's difficult for hierarchical structures or for collaborative groups to be able to, to be adaptive and responsive quick enough. Um, but these agile organizations are better suited for fast changing environments. Um, the way of working and the values are more around um, agility and dynamic steering. So instead of making a big plan, setting the big plan and saying, this is what we want to achieve, this is where we're going, and trying to control things, instead of doing the whole predict and control way of working, it's recognizing that um, there can be an intention, there can be a kind of magnetic pull towards an evolutionary purpose, and we're going to dynamically steer our way to uh, move in that direction to achieve that purpose. But 
the dynamic steering is always changing and adapting in response to new things that are happening. And we don't make big plans. We only make take the next decision. The minimum amount of decisions that we need to take, we can um, we take that for the next step to get us to where we need to go, and then we decide the next step there. It's a much more emergent way of working. Uh, and this way of organising provides a kind of collective agility uh, for how how to organise. And then the structure there is a is a fractal structure. So it's where you get um, you get instead of um, different hierarchical departments, you get different circles, and you get a circle of an organisation inside a bigger circle, and then you can get a smaller circle inside of that. So it's a bit like uh, it replicates the structure of the human body and a lot of other natural systems, where you can have a cell inside your liver, and the cell has its own structure. It's an autonomous cell, and the cell is part of a bigger liver. And then the liver itself is a whole thing, and it's also part of the body, and the body's a whole thing, and it's also a part of a family, a society, and so on. And the, one of the fundamental features of this way of working is what happens with power and authority. Because in hierarchical structures, power and authority is concentrated at the top, in the leaders. In more flat collaborative groups, power is more shared amongst the group, so decisions are made together, and... Uh, very often by consensus or by some kind of um, voting. But in, in uh, these more agile ways of working, and in holacracy specifically, uh, authority and power is distributed. So what happens is roles get defined, and then once somebody is in a role, they are then like a, an autocrat. They are like the king of that role, and they get to make the decisions about what that role does, what they do in that role. So it's really a way of... Um, empowering and enabling people to take decisions and that there's no boss anywhere in the holocratic organization who can um, dictate and tell anybody else how to do their role. Uh, the parts of decisions that are made together are the parts that actually define the roles and say uh, which, which roles get which accountabilities and which authorities. So that's a, a, a brief kind of overview of uh, a more kind of agile way of working. And what holacracy does as a, as a way of working is, is, it, is it has a constitution. It has like a written formal constitution. And when an organization adopts holacracy, they will uh, formally adopt the constitution. And as they do so, the power that was vested in any leaders or in any group then goes into the actual constitution itself. And it's like uh, adopting a new set of rules. If you think of an organisation as a bit like a, a game, we all, there's all these rules that um, govern how we behave towards each other, and it's just like replacing one set of rules with another. And so in uh, a holocratic organisation, there's a constitution, which is the set of rules that you follow, and um, that constitution defines how you run different meetings. So uh, there are very clear and very strict um, kind of structured and um, quite disciplined ways of running different meetings uh, for different things. And it's recognizing that, that, that one part of what you do in an organization is governance. It's where you think about how do we work together? How do we define the power and the authority and the roles here? How you define those things? And governance meetings have a governance meeting process, which is very, very different from the tactical meetings, which are looking much more at how we do the work 
and um, what's the next step for for doing the marketing campaign or what's the next step for um, you know sweeping the factory or whatever needs to happen in whatever kind of work you're doing um, it's like looking at the next steps and what needs to happen there and tactical meetings have a very very different set of meeting processes to the governance meetings um, so is that enough to what can I do? I can give a, a picture of a, a holacracy structure here. So uh, Transition Glastonbury uh, recently adopted holacracy, and so we have a circle here. You'll see the, the circle come up uh, on your screen soon. And so the biggest circle is called the anchor circle. In other organizations, sometimes it's called a board. Um, and the anchor circle is a circle that has the uh, the broadest view of the organization. And then what happens is that you'll see these uh, li little circles inside, and these little circles inside are the different roles that get created. Uh, so there's facilitator, there's secretary, there's treasurer, website manager, matchmaker, newsletter producer. And all of these roles are very, very clearly defined. And if you were to um, click on a role, what it does is it gives you a very clear uh, description of what the accountabilities of that role are. So what I can do actually is I can um, show you an example. Okay, so this is a different example. This isn't Transition Glastonbury, but I use this one because I'm, I'm signed into it right now. Uh, this is Agile Organization, so this is um, one of the other projects that I work on. So here there's just the anchor circle. And if you click on any role in the anchor circle, it will take you to a description of what the purpose of that role is and then the accountabilities that that role has. Um, and then what happens is people will energize different roles. And you may have one person energizing, you know, they may energize five or ten different roles. Um, and it's a way of uh, kind of distributing uh, the authority for what happens. And these roles get defined only in response to issues that are faced by doing the work. So you don't sit there and think, oh, what are the roles that we need? And we need a role for this, and we need a role for that, and this role should do this, and this role should... You know, you're not sitting there defining it up front uh, as some kind of mental exercise. The roles get defined in response to tensions from actually doing the work. And then you'll have a tension from doing the work and saying, well, this needs to happen, and there's, there's no role that has accountability for that, so you take that to a governance meeting, and then you create a role. Um, to respond to that tension so that that can be done then in the future. So it means that the, the structure of the organization is matched probably as well as it could be to the needs of the environment because human beings are sensing what needs to happen. They're responding to that, taking that to a governance meeting. It's creating the structure of the organization. And then these governance meetings are very regular and frequent and then they can con constantly adapt the structure of the organization in response to uh, the next bit of learning that's happened. So I'll stop talking there. That's an a introduction to um, that way of working and invite any comments or questions about that. Okay, so just remind folks, if you have a question, you can press number two. It doesn't necessarily have to be a question. It could also be a comment or um, suggestion even. Charles? Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks, Jennifer. 
Um, Nick, this is wonderful because, um, as I mentioned in my introduction, uh, we're starting the initiative in, in, in Transition Shariak, the organization uh, we're putting together here. And what we're doing is looking at uh, uh, the information that's brought forward on the Transition Network website. And I'm trying to kind of merge it with uh, Holacracy. So that's uh, very uh, timely to information. My question is with uh, the holacracy approach to governance, um, if at one point in time we want to legitimize our structure and form a, a non-for-profit organization or an LLC or something, where is the board of um, uh, the board of directors, and and how do you define those roles in a, uh, a legal context? So the board. Uh, the directors would, some organizations have the anchor circle, so the biggest circle as the board, and they the only function of that bigger circle or the anchor circle of the board is to fulfill the legal responsibilities of the organization and um, make those kinds of decisions that you're talking about. So that's one way of doing it, is you can say, we're going to have a board, and the board is, you know, it's just going to have these few roles in it. And then the actual bulk of the work of the organization is going to be done by the next circle that's within that board. It's, you know, a lot of companies call it, they call it like the general company okay. circle. Um, another way to do it is within the anchor circle, if you only have one circle, you can have specific roles within that circle that you could even call director or a legal um, legal uh, legal accountability role or something that would have um, the same legal responsibilities as current company directors have. Does that uh, help? Okay, that helps. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it certainly does. Thanks. Good. Mm -hmm. welcome. Okay, and we have two other questions. And I just want to um, be transparent about our time. We've got about 12 minutes left. Mm -hmm. So Cheryl? Hi, this is Cheryl. Cheryl, I've got that same issue with your microphone. If you could speak up, that would be great. Can be better now? Yeah. Okay. My apologies for that. So my question is more of a technical question, and I'm just the first time I've heard about um, Holacracy, and just wondering if there's a site that has these um, systems where you can just plug in um, to create these templates, or I guess the templates to create these systems that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, there's a, a couple of resources there. I mean, the, the source organization that uh, has founded this way of working is called Holacracy One. Um, and so the, the web address is holacracy, I think it's holacracy.org actually. So it's H-O-L-R-A, holacracy.org. <laughs> um, so that's one, um, so there's a spelling of holacracy coming up there, holacracy. On that site, there's a load of information and free resources. There's a constitution that you can download for free. It's, it's available as open source uh, for people to work with as they need to. Um, while it is available as open source, what people find is because it is a radical departure from how we're used to working, 
it's very, very difficult for people to start using Holacracy without any kind of training. And there's a whole kind of range of training that's available. Um, so the website has a lot of free information. It has resources. It has information about the training. And then what I'm showing you on the screen, this, uh, these, these circles with these roles defined on it, is a piece of software called GlassFrog. And an organization, when they adopt Holacracy and start working with it, they can use this GlassFrog software, which is designed for working with Holacracy and the accountabilities and the role definitions and all of that. It has the meeting processes um, built into it as well. And so that's uh, something else that's available as well. Um, but what they say is that if, you know, Holacracy is, they, they, they liken it to driving a car. So saying, you know, it's like a, a, set of, a new set of skills and a practice. And you can read a lot about the highway code and you can be, read about the road and understand how cars work from a book, but that won't teach you how to drive a car. And they say that learning about Holacracy is a bit like that. It's very, very difficult to, to start that new practice without um, kind of uh, formal training and support. Okay. So we have one more question. And Chris, your mic is on. Yeah, my question, my question is probably obvious, but I was wondering, you're using the word agile a lot, and it seems to me that I don't have like a very well-rounded understanding of how context and what the word means. So I'm wondering if you could, in, in, in so many seconds, kind of give a definition of this word. Great question. Thank you. I use the word um, as a way to distinguish uh, it from hierarchical and more collaborative approaches and to say that um, hierarchical organizations are, are well suited for an environment that is um, relatively stable and not too complex. Um, and there's, you know, kind of a whole kind of uh, load of things I could say behind that, but I'll just say that for now. And then as an environment becomes more complex, uh, a num more different perspectives are required to um, deal with and process and integrate that complexity, and that's when a more collaborative approach is required. Um, so collaborative uh, approach to organizations, is, I think, is better suited to more complex environments. But then when the environment starts changing really, really quickly, and it becomes not only complex, but it also becomes fast-changing and uncertain and ambiguous and volatile, the more process uh, collaborative ways of working and the more hierarchical um, structured ways of working um, tend not to be so well suited uh, because there needs to be this constant adaptation and this constant organizational agility to respond to the fast changing conditions. And so I'm using it um, in, in that way to create the kind of uh, organizational flexibility, dynamic steering, uh, ability to adapt and respond to what's happening. Um, yeah, does that make it any clearer, Chris? There's more perspective on what I was thinking. Thanks. And it is, you know, there's a whole movement called Agile Software, and um, some of the people that have founded Holacracy have worked in Agile Software, and they take some of the techniques and, and processes from that as well. Great. And Chris, being a Guy University associate, that term Agile and also dynamic steering is going to come up in some of the content trainings that we'll be getting into really soon. So it's a great introduction. Okay, that's all of our questions, Nick. So we've okay. got about 
um, three more minutes for you to wrap up the call, and then if we could save some time so that I can make some announcements and do a quick check out with folks, that would be great. Great, thank you. Okay, so towards the end of um, the PDF that you'll get is this page here with um, further resources with a set of links. Uh, the, if this, is, this territory is something that you're interested in, either learning more about yourself or taking further and exploring uh, within your groups, uh, these can be useful uh, resources. So there's the animated videos that I mentioned, and those are, you know, they're kind of between kind of three and 15 minute uh, chunks of videos, and you can show them in your group, and you can use it as a conversation starter about uh, what's happening in your group in particular areas. So in terms of having a clear purpose, or how you get things done together, or um, the culture in your group and how you communicate, and the videos are framed in terms of those three patterns of organizing, the hierarchical, collaborative, and agile approaches. Uh, these are all available on the Transition Network website. You'll see all the links here on the Transition Network uh, site. There's an Effective Groups Toolkit and other resources, which is a, a toolkit that facilitators can use uh, to run certain processes in their groups to help with this kind of area. Uh, number three there is there's a whole reading list, which has a whole range for people who want to personally read about and, and learn more about any aspects of um, this whole territory, I've put together a, a reading list uh, with pictures and short summaries of all the books. And then there's uh, these trainings. There's this uh, a one-day training, which is an introduction to effective groups, and a two-day effective collaboration training. And I'm looking um, at, with my partner, with Justina, at running these as longer, more in-depth trainings to go into this this territory in more depth as well. Uh, we're doing that. We're doing a six-day version of that uh, Eco Dharma uh, Eco Village in Spain in April, as well. So the information is on the Transition Network website there. And um, some suggestions about some activities that you might want to do with your group in this area. So maybe um, showing some of those videos in your group, talking about what they bring up, uh, presenting the group development cycle. So we haven't really talked about that, but it's the whole forming, storming, norming, and performing. Um, there's some references to that on the Transition Network website. Presenting the different types of group to your group, so the hierarchical, collaborative, and agile, and ask which elements there are in your group, or doing any activities with your group from the, uh, the toolkit. So there's some instructions in there of how to do that. So those are some things you, you might want to do with your groups. And really, you know, the, the message is to uh, these things can help bring in some kind of structure and, and some kind of um, beneficial, what do they call them? They call them things like liberating structures. They can be structures, but they can be things that can hold and contain and help the, channel the energy and make it move, um, rather than it kind of dispersing or, or, or bouncing up against uh, against itself. So there's you know a whole wealth of things that you can do out there, and I hope that in this call I've given a, a bit of a taste and a bit of a flavor of those who are new to this area, and also maybe some, some learnings for those of you who know a bit, a bit more about it. And I think I'll leave it there. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Nick. I very thoroughly enjoyed this um, conversation and presentation. And I appreciated how you used agility to, to drive the presentation. Thank you. <laughs> very well done. You're sort of teaching us verbally and also um, giving us a, a representation right there practicing it for us. All right. Well, I um, want to thank all of you so much for, for coming on the call. 
Uh, again, this series is a four-part series collaborated upon by Guy University and the Transition Network. It began last week, and it will run two more weeks. I would like to right now just remind you, if you didn't already know, the next topics. So next Tuesday, same time, same place, you can use the same call information, is going to be Sophie Banks talking about building personal resilience, how to sustain your momentum. And then the first week of March, also on a Tuesday, same time, is... Tom Humphrey talking about how does change happen and what is the transition model for change. So we have those calls coming up, and I also want to let you know some of you are new to Gaia University's um, programming called Gaia Radio. We have monthly call series. Sometimes we have guests and you know collaborators like the Transition Network, which we partner with, um, up and coming in. Um, April and May, we're going to be partnering with the Financial Permaculture Institute and Living Mandala to do a call series on financial permaculture. And then in general throughout the year, we have monthly programming from our associates in Guy University, um, ranging from topics to permaculture, transition, transitioning to organic gardening, to different types of health, um, basically topics around integrative eco-social design. So with that, um, you'll have the option to joining our newsletter, which has regular announcements about that. Um, you can opt out if you do not want to partake in those calls or in the newsletter. And again, I just want to thank you all for coming. Um, I know I personally really enjoyed this call. I've been working on um, being part of a transition initiative here in um, Middle Tennessee in the United States since 2006. and. Um, I'm very interested in the ways groups work together, and I um, have learned a lot from this call. And I'd like to hear a few of you, if you're willing to share, just to, to get uh, a sense of a community here on the call. Um, if you could press number two to share really briefly anything that you feel like you're taking away from the call. Maybe that might be an appreciation, or it could be a next step that you want to apply maybe related to reading the PDF or any of the other little nuggets that you got from the call. So if you wanted to raise your hand, and again, you can press number two. Okay, so I'll just take maybe two, two or three callers. Chris? Hi. Yeah, I, I found this information to be very useful because I'm, I'm part of an organization that some friends and myself founded, and we've been sort of somewhere in between a hierarchical structure and uh, the, the uh, holacracy just by nature. You know, we knew we didn't want to exactly have the typical hier hierarchical structure, and we tried very hard to not make that present, although, you know, when you're working within the legal context of an actual nonprofit, it becomes very difficult to not actually name somebody the president, and then even more difficult sometimes for that actually, for them to not sort of take that as their role. Um, uh, so I'm looking forward to viewing these resources and seeing how maybe we can use it to better adapt our organization. Thanks for that. Great. Thanks, Chris. And I actually thought we had a couple more minutes, but we are at time. So I think we'll end there and just get some um, a closing farewell from Nick, and then I'll turn everyone's mics on and we can shout out goodbye. Nick, do you have any just closing statement? I don't, actually. 
I don't. I feel like I've um, I've said an awful lot, and um, <laughs> people coming on the call, and yeah, I feel. Uh, I feel okay, happy. wonderful. Thanks again, Nick. And folks, if you want to, please tune in next week, same time for the the third part of our call series. I'm going to turn everyone's mics on, and you can shout out farewell and appreciations in any language that you want to. Bye. Thank you, Nick, very much. Bye. A great session. Merci, Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Ciao for now. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, everyone. Bye from Sydney. Obrigado. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, well done. Okay, so... Thanks.